Well, good morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to John 15. It's where we're going to start this morning. You can find your place there, and then we're going to be jumping around a little bit. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you if you need to take that with you so you can follow along in Scripture this morning. But we're going to continue with this prayer series, but just want to share a couple things. First, uh, thanks for being here this morning. I know Braving the Elements was a little bit of adventure church. For some of you, it was a uh, uh, bolstery six degrees on my car thermometer as I left this morning. I don't know what it was at your house, but thank you for being here and gathering with God's people today. And I want to share a couple things with us as a church that are going on and pretty exciting for us in the life of our church. One is, uh, first is just really a praise and a praise the Lord. I thank you for being the kind of people you are. But you know for several years in the month of December, we've celebrated something called Christmas Give. We've challenged one another to give over and above our regular tithes and offerings to uh, this thing called Christmas Give that goes directly to missionaries on the field and give to go to send people out of our church, budget, trying to pay off our debt, different things like that. And uh, this year you gave the most you've ever given toward Christmas Give. Uh, this church uh, gave $132,000, $175.08, 132175 and $0.08. So praise the Lord for your generosity and God's provision. Can we just thank Him for that? So from that, uh, a lot of that will go directly to missionaries on the field and send folks out of our church to carry the gospel and also really helps us come within about, we hope, two to three months from paying off the debt on our land and facilities and so we can continue on debt-free and we're very, very excited about that. So thank you for being the kind of giving people that you are. Uh, secondly, uh, you guys know that we're a church, we believe, we teach, we hold out Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's why we exist, to the glory of God. We also believe that that begins in the home. So next Sunday will be Parent Connect. And you heard on the 92nd News about it. But if you're a parent, caregiver, grandparent, great-grandparent, whatever the case is, and you want to be a part of discipling the next generation, of investing in them, Parent Connect's for you. I encourage you to check that out. It'll be during both services here at the Great Campus next week. You can sign up for that. We want to equip you as you go about this business of raising and investing in the next generation. So that's a big deal for us as a church. I encourage you to be a part of that. And you can come the other hour uh, to the uh, worship gathering in here, okay? So that's next week. All right, well, we are in the middle of a prayer journey, and I hope it's been challenging to you. I hope you're utilizing some of the resources that are available prayer guide online that you can follow along. Our services are directed toward that. The entire month of December, uh, we've set aside for this thing called prayer. Now, one thing that's a reality, uh, one of the distinguishing characteristics of every true child of God is at least a desire to pray. Uh, There's something in us, it's the Spirit of God Himself. Uh, Romans 8 tells us that The Spirit dwells within us, and He's crying out, Abba, Father. In other words, the very Spirit of Jesus in us, and this this yearning to to pray, to commune, to talk with God, we, we have that as a result of the Spirit of God living within us. Now, if we were really honest with each other, and I hope we will be this morning, this whole series talking about prayer, we would also have to say, but even as believers, the Spirit of God dwelling within us This thing called prayer can at times be difficult, challenging, and even frustrating, right? 
Y'all are not going to be honest this morning. You're just going to pretend. this thing. Maybe it's just me, but this thing called prayer can sometimes be a challenge, right? Even as we talk about going into a prayer series, I can sense it and, and, and just feel it sometimes. And in the conversations, there's this sense of, okay, I, I, here we go. I want to learn more about prayer. I want to go in prayer. God, I, I desire that, but... Man, my prayer life's just not where it needs to be. It's not where it ought to be. And there's this heaping of guilt on. And there's this awareness of it. There's this gaps from where we want to be in this area called prayer. And we do want to grow. We do want to grow. Sometimes it can just be really challenging and frustrating in our lives. And prayer is a gift that God has given to us. So this morning, what I want to look at is I think we can get some help this morning from Jesus himself. Uh, We know that he taught prayer, he modeled prayer, and from John 15, he's going to give us a truth about prayer that I think is going to help you and me this morning in this pursuit of Jesus, even through prayer. So read with me, John 15, I'm going to read verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to flip back in Psalm 73 and spend some time there this morning. So here's the scene. Jesus is right outside Jerusalem, he's in this little valley called the Kidron Valley, there's There's grape orchards everywhere, vineyards everywhere, and he's walking through with his his disciples, and this is the famous vine and the branches illustration that Jesus uses. He says, I'm the, the vine, you're the branch, your life is about staying connected to me, my life flowing through you, it's there you bear fruit, it's there that you know joy and peace, it is me in you, and he uses this vine branch analogy. So in the context of that, he wants to teach his disciples then and us something about prayer. So listen to what he says. Verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Now listen to what he says. Ask. Ask. So he's going over into the area of prayer, this communion with God, this talking with God. Ask, okay, ask what? Ready? Whatever you wish. Now how about that? Ask whatever you wish, and it even gets better. And it will be done for you. Man, now that's a promise about prayer. Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And fruitfulness here is Christ's likeness, Christ in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these truths of Christ in us bearing fruit in our lives. And so prove to be my disciples. Wow. Now that's a pretty lofty promise that Jesus makes there. He says, okay, here's the invitation. Ask. Okay, Jesus, ask what? (laughs) Whatever you wish. And the promise is, it's going to be done for you. But at the beginning of the verse, he says, If you abide in me, and my words dwell or abide richly in you, then ask whatever you wish. Okay, so help me pull all this together, Jesus. I, help me put this together. Here, here, I think, is a big idea that's going to drive the rest of our time. What we're going to talk about is this. The fruitfulness of my life that glorifies God, the effectiveness of my prayers are all an overflow of my abiding relationship with Jesus and His Word. 
In other words, if my life is characterized by this abiding, this intimate, growing, vibrant, dynamic relationship, and His Word is planted down into my heart, it changes the way I think, it changes my affections and my emotions and my perspective, then it will even change the very way I pray. So for us, what we need to pursue this morning is, okay, what does it look like to abide in Him and His Word to abide in us? What does that look like? And if that happens, does it really so change my heart and my mind and my thinking that it will radically change my prayer life and not just my prayer life, my entire life based on the promise of Jesus? So, what does it look like? I want you to flip back over to Psalm chapter 73, book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, and find the 73rd Psalm this morning. We're going to try to get a picture of a fellow named Asaph who lives this out. To abide in Christ, for his word to abide in him, and it impacts and affects every area of his life. So, Psalm 73, a fellow named Asaph. Now, Pastor Mike, I've never heard of Asaph. I have no idea who that guy is. Maybe I've read through the Psalms. I've seen it at the beginning. Scripture says this particular psalm, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, was written by a man named Asaph. Now, Asaph was a Levite, meaning, in particular, he was, he was the worship leader, if you will, for the children of Israel. His name literally means one who gathers. He was around the people of God all the time. He was in the tabernacle of God. The temple hadn't been built yet. He was the one who gathered God's people together. He was like Josh Sanders, our worship pastor, or Jimmy Vi, who led this morning. He, it was his responsibility to lead God's people to worship and adore God. So he's, one of, he's God's man, so to speak. Now, it's important to know that because as you read the beginning of chapter 73 in the book of Psalms, here's what you're going to discover about this dude Asaph. Here's some words to describe him. He had a real bad attitude. (laughs) His perspective was really lousy. He felt like the world was coming apart. He even believed God was unfair. He's even to the point of throwing in the towel and about ready to quit. And he's leading God's people in worship. (laughs) Something's going on in the life of Asaph. Now, when you get to the end of the psalm, every bit of that has changed. Something happens in his heart and something happens in his life that radically changes everything for Asaph. Let's see if we can figure out what it was. Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read the first of the chapter and make some application for us. So here we go. You can follow along. Verse 1. He says, surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. That's kind of a worship leader mantra. He's saying that in general, and then he gets real specific, verse 2. But as for me, it's almost like verse 1 is what I'm supposed to say, but here's what's really going on in my heart. And by the way, the Psalms in the Bible are given to us. Every emotion that you may ever feel, high, low, is expressed in the Psalms. Because you got some real honest people in here, not trying to just give you spiritual talk. They're being honest about where they are and where their heart is. That's why the Psalms are so valuable to us. So Asaph says, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, and my steps had almost slipped. All right, what does that mean? Asaph says, right now, where I am, he's kind of looking back on it, but he was saying, at that point, I was about to stumble. 
The word stumble means ready to fall. It literally means deeply troubled and wearisome of his soul. Uh, wearisome in soul. Something was affecting his soul to the point he says, I was about to slip. I was about to stumble. I was about to fall. Verse 3. What was it? He says, for I was envious of the arrogant. And that may not catch you, but that's a very powerful and honest expression of where his soul was. He said, my soul was eat up with envy. He said, I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In other words, here's a man of God trying to pursue the things of God, serving the people of God in the sanctuary of God. And he looks around. He looks at his own condition. It's not going quite the way he wants it to. He's looking out at people, even those who don't even name the name of God, even those who don't even care. And from his perspective, it appears they're prospering and I'm not. So he begins to be eat up with envy. Envy starts with comparison. I see there, I compare it to me. Tim Keller gives us a little bit on this. He says, Asaph confesses that he is in the grip of envy. To envy is to want someone else's life. It is to feel not just that they don't deserve their good life, but that you really do. And somehow, God hasn't been fair. That's envy. So Asaph is honest. He says, I'm just eat up with this thing called envy. He goes on, verse 4. He looks at those that are not following after God. He says, there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They're always healthy. They have no trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. And there's a progression here that we've all stumbled into. Now Asaph, because he's eaten up with his envy, he begins to overstate the situation. He says, they have no problems. Everything goes great with them. There's no trouble. And then you got me. Has anybody ever overstated a situation and made it really worse, made it sound worse than it really was? Anybody? Okay, two. I think there's probably more. Asaph is stumbling into a trap that we all stumble into, and it's called he's listening to his own deceived self-talk. By the way, left to ourself and our own thoughts, you say, well, I just need to trust my heart. No, you're not. Your heart will always deceive you. So he's listening to his heart because this is, the way, this is the way it appears to him from his perspective, and he's listening to that. We don't listen to our heart. We, we guide our heart with truth. But Asaph is now listening to his own thoughts and listening to his own self-talk. Then he goes on in verse 11. He says, skip on down, we'll skip a few verses for sake of time. He says, they say, "How how does God know? Meaning, they seem to get away with everything. It's like God doesn't even watch. There's no justice, is what he's saying. And there's, and there's, and is there knowledge with the Most High? Does God even know what's going on? Behold, these are... The wicked and always at ease. They've increased their wealth. Life is easy. They don't honor God. They get away with everything. And here am I trying to follow God. Verse 13. Now he gets even more serious. Listen to this. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Now he's probably overstating his own maturity. But he's saying, here's, here's what, you got to get this. What's the use 
I mean, his self-talk has got him to the point now. He's like, it, it is vain, this thing of following you, God. It's empty. I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence. And here's what I get out of it, verse 14. I've been stricken all day, chastened every morning. Here's his thought. God, you're just not fair to me. It's just not fair. Has anybody had an inkling of a thought this week? It is just not fair to me. Somehow God is just not treating me as I deserve. So that's where Asaph is. And again, he's, he's a worship leader, leading God's people, going through all these things. The motion, and here's his heart wrestling with if he's, it's even worth it. Verse 16, he says, when I pondered to understand this, I tried to make sense of it all. I'm you know, wrestling in my head. I'm wrestling with my thoughts. It was troublesome in my sight. He says, I just couldn't make sense of it. The word troublesome is a very graphic word. It means vexing, wearisome, heavy. I'm, it, what, I'm about to quit? It looks like vain. It's just troublesome. It's just heavy for me. So I don't know how you would describe Asaph here. There's a few words you could use. I mean, he's a dude. He's bitter. He feels cheated. He thinks he deserves more than he's getting. He has no joy. He thinks God has been unfair. He's not getting what he wants. He's ready to quit. And if you notice, there's something incredibly absent from anything in the first few verses of this psalm. Nowhere, watch this, nowhere is Asaph praying. Nowhere. Now, let's look at the last half of the psalm. You say, I hope it gets better. That's kind of depressing. Let's pick up in verse 18. Skip verse 17. Don't look at verse 17. We'll look at it in a minute. Look at verse 18. Ready? Everything has changed for Asaph. He says, Surely you will set them in slippery places. You will cast them down to destruction. You weren't saying that before, Asaph. Verse 19, how, are, how they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Wait a minute. A second Asaph, just a minute ago you were saying how they were prospering and everything was going well and the world you're looking at, it seems unfair. They're getting everything good. I have everything hard and difficult. Now you're saying something completely different. Verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Now he's praying. You have taken hold of my right hand. That's not what he was saying before. He was saying, in effect, God, you, you're not fair to me. Now he's saying, God, you have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Now that's a perspective shift. He's not done. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Now he's worshiping. Now his view of God is completely radically different than it was before. I desire nothing on earth. St- what? A minute ago, I said you couldn't even talk about everything you wanted and weren't getting. Now it's like, I desire nothing on earth. Lord, you are my everything. Hey, he wasn't saying that before. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here's my question. What in the world happened to Asaph? Now, can we be real honest with each other and say, you know what? The Asaph at the beginning of the chapter, I can relate to that dude. (laughs) I live there a lot. 
There are times at at the end of the chapter, I can relate to that dude too. But if I'm honest, that's where my heart left to myself will always take me. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. I'm getting a raw deal. I don't even know if it's worth it. I feel like I'm going to quit. I'm ready to give up. What? We all have seasons of that. But man, the Asaph at the end of the chapter is a completely different person, if you will. What happened to Asaph? All right, now, look at verse 16 and 17, and we're going to read them together. Ready? You can just follow as I read. What happened to Asaph? Verse 16 says, we read this before, it says, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. And here might be one of the greatest phrases in the whole book of Psalms is this. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Pastor Mike, what does that mean? I mean, is he talking about the building? Is he saying, okay, I got up, and even though it was snowing, I went to church? Is that what he's talking about? Not exactly. Is he talking about the temple, you know, Solomon's temple in the Old Testament? Well, the temple hadn't even been built yet. This is the time of David. The temple's not built yet. He's not talking about that. What's he talking about? Well, in that time, there was the tabernacle, which was... which was instituted by God to be built, and the tabernacle was a visible earthly representation of the presence of God. Interesting, though, watch this. Asaph does not say, I went into the tabernacle, even though I think he did. He's very specific, and he says, I went to the sanctuary of God. The word sanctuary very simply means this, a holy place set apart, a sacred place. Why was it holy and sacred? Because it was the very presence of God symbolized to the Old Testament believer. In other words, here's what Asaph is saying. I met with God. I met with God. It wasn't an issue so much of the place... But even though in that day the place was important because to the Old Testament believer at this time, the place did matter because God had, what's this? God had revealed himself and was making himself known by this thing called the tabernacle. And every part of the tabernacle revealed something true about God. From what it was covered with, from the altar that sat outside of it where the sacrifice was. Every bit of it was a picture of God's love, a picture of God's character, a picture of grace, and a picture of the Messiah who was coming. And there, for the Old Testament believer, represented the place that God dwelt in that sanctuary, in that tabernacle. What we probably know is that Asaph went there with the congregation. Maybe he had done it for weeks and weeks and he had led the congregation in song. But on this day, Asaph says, no, I didn't just go to a place. There I met with God. And it changed everything. Now, we don't know exactly how that happened, but here's what we know from the rest of Scripture. What happened to Asaph? I'm going to give you six or seven things that are the outcome and what happened to him here. These are really instructional for us and very helpful for us. These are the, something happened the beginning of the psalm to the end of the psalm. What happened? I'm going to give you a few of them. Number one, here we go. Asaph encountered, Asaph had a truth encounter with the living God. Asaph didn't have some type of mystical experience. He did not go into some kind of trance. That's not the point. He went to the place which at that time in God's redemptive history was the tabernacle, the visible manifestation that revealed who God was. 
Every part of the tabernacle was designed by God to reveal something about his character. Maybe Asaph walks up to the tabernacle. I'm speculating here. Maybe he walks up and outside of it he sees the altar and the sacrifices on the altar. And his heart melts because he knows God forgives sin. Maybe he's overwhelmed with that truth and he knows that it's a picture of the Messiah to come and he celebrates it. Yes, one day one is coming who will take away the sin. Just like you and I look back and worship to the Messiah who's already come. Maybe he went in and the singers were singing truth that they had always sung, but this day the Spirit of God had such a grip on his heart he heard them singing something like we sung earlier. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Maybe somebody stood up and read the Psalms that say in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forever maybe somebody stood up and read the scriptures which was a part of this and said the Lord has established his throne in the heavens his sovereignty rules over all or maybe there was something an encounter with truth God revealed himself to Asaph through his truth not some mystical experience, not some weird, weird th- the way that God had determined at that time to reveal himself there at the tabernacle. And Asaph says, I went in literally to the very sanctuary. I was in the presence of God. I met with God. The truth encounter. Now what does that do in our lives as Believers, I'll give you a couple other things. Number two, this truth encounter transformed his perspective. We read verse 16 and 17 earlier. I'll read it again really quick. When I pondered to understand all this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, I met with God. Then I perceived their end. In other words, nothing had changed about the situation. What had changed was Asa's perspective. At what point is it in your week that you need a perspective shift? <laughs> For me, it's usually Monday morning. Real early in the week. Because my heart is deceitful and deceptive. And I listen to myself talk And I listen to all the lies around me. And rather than focusing on God and His Word and His truth. And having, even having been here with these people in a celebration of Sunday. I, my heart begins to shift. And I need a perspective shift. Don't you? Asaph had that perspective shift. Number, two, number three. God's truth... God's truth, God's revealing Himself, God's revelation of Himself produced repentance. I've got to be honest with you, my journey of following Christ, for whatever reason, the word repentance over the last few weeks has become a very sweet word to me. See, for us, sometimes, I don't know if it's our training or our conditioning. I think it's just our flesh. We don't like the idea of somebody telling us we're wrong. We don't like the idea of the Bible confronting us that we're thinking wrongly. Uh, Yeah, it's okay to say, well, you're wrong because you didn't know that. It's a totally different thing for the Word of God to say, no, no, you're wrong. (laughs) You're headed down the wrong path. Your thinking is wrong. Did Did you know repentance is a gift from God? I can't grow without repentance. So Asaph here confronted and exposed, and and God has revealed himself. The word of God has so captured his heart. He says in verse 21, 
He's honest. He says, when my heart was embittered, he says, God, I was bitter toward you. I wasn't just a little frustrated, God. I wasn't just, you know, God, I was in bitterness toward you. He says, when, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within. And by the way, those who allow themselves to continue in bitterness and don't allow the God of the universe to change their perspective, the ones that are pierced by bitterness are not the ones who hurt you, are not the ones that they're mad at, it's you. He says, I was pierced within. Then I was senseless and ignorant. Now that's repentance, that's honesty. I was just ignorant, I was senseless. I was listening to my flesh, I was listening to myself. I was wrong. He says, I was like a beast before you. Meaning I'd given myself over to my flesh. My thinking had just run wild. It comes to a place of repentance. Martin Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. Then I'm going this way, I'm thinking this way, headed towards pain, I'm headed toward all that comes with following my own way. And God, by His Word, God, by His Spirit, lovingly interjects and says, hang on, Mike, don't you, you got it all wrong, man. Asaph, the God that you're picturing early in the book of Psalms is not even the true God of the Bible. It's not even the true God. You've created your own version of God. And now God in His grace reveals Himself and Asaph is broken before God. says, I was wrong. And then you know what he was able to experience that come right out of that? Listen to this. What followed his repentance was grace. Verse 23 says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. This is the fourth thing he experienced. God's truth made clear the wonder of grace. He says, God, I was wrong. I was bitter towards you. I was believing something about you that wasn't even true. I was ready to quit. And God, you know what's true the whole time through that? You were holding on to me. That's a picture of grace. Tim Keller, speaking of this, says, Only when one sees the depth of our sin will we be electrified by the wonder of grace. Asaph is overwhelmed by the grace of God. He goes on. Verse 25 and 26, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. They may mislead me. They may guide me in a wrong way, which they just did. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Fifth thing that happened to him. God's truth resulted in genuine worship that just flows out of Asaph. He wasn't saying that at the beginning of the chapter. God, I desire this. I want this. I'm not getting this. This is not fair. I'm being cheated. And now he's saying after God revealed himself to Asaph, after he meets with God, God, you are enough for me. That's worship. Can we say that? Can I say that? Two more things. Verse 28, Asa says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The sixth thing it brought is it it brought him joy. And Jesus prayed this for his disciples. This is what we want for every member of our church, every part of this church family, is that we find our ultimate true joy in nothing less than the person of Jesus Christ. 
Asaph here, after he's gone through this process, after God's revealed himself, made himself known through his truth, he says, God is my good. He is my source of ultimate joy. See that? Isn't that a beautiful process that you see God take Asaph? God makes himself known. Asaph goes, Asaph pursues and goes to the place, and watch this, and pursues the means by which God reveals himself there in the tabernacle. God, by his spirit, opens his eyes and opens his heart. He comes face to face with God. He meets with God, and it changes everything for Asaph. And then the psalm concludes this way, last verse. But as for me... The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. And watch this. That I may tell of all your works. His repentance, the grace that he experienced, his worship, his joy. Watch. Now overflow in mission. He can't stop talking about Jesus. That's discipleship. That's growth. That's a guy who was headed down a road of despair, and that's a guy whose perspective was a mess, that's a guy who had a pathetic attitude, and that's a guy who by the end of the psalm is worshiping and adoring and knowing joy. And what made the difference? One thing, he met with God. Two questions. You say, Pastor Mike, I I thought this was a prayer series. What in the world, what happened? One of the things that's interesting about this psalm, the beginning of the psalm, you know what's absent? We said this earlier. Asaph's not praying. But you know what every verse in the second half of the psalm is? An overflow of a heart of worship and a heart of abiding. And Asaph is not doing anything, watch, but praying. (laughs) You say, okay, I, I get all that, I guess, but I don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a temple to go to. We don't have the sanctuary. If I had that, man, it'd be totally different. Let me tell you something. As a child of God, one adopted into God's family, living on this side of the cross and the resurrection, you have it much, 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 much better. Jesus is better than the temple. You don't go to a place. The very spirit of Jesus indwells you. And you have the complete revelation of God making himself known to you through his son. And we have the record of it called scripture. Listen to this. Don't miss this. Every time I go to his word and I open his word and I begin to read, it is a truth encounter with the living God through his living word. And it changes everything. When we as his people, like Asaph, pursue this God to know him, he makes himself known in his word through his spirit. And watch this. When God makes himself known, when God, is re- when God reveals himself through his word, watch. The result is prayer. Prayer is a heart response to the revelation of God. That's why Jesus said it this way. Ready? Back to where we started. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, 
what's going to flow out of you is going to be such true, Bible-saturated prayer. Hey, you can ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. And you know what? It'll glorify the Father, and you will bear much fruit. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. Would you bow your head? I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to work in your heart this morning. and Maybe there's a point of repentance for you. Maybe there's a point of being honest like Asaph was with God this morning. God, my attitude has been pathetic. God, I've been wrapped up in envy. Lord, I've been eat up with bitterness. God, I'm holding on to something about you. It's not even true. We're going to stand and sing in just a minute. Maybe you need to stay seated. Maybe you need to come to the front and bow at these stairs. Maybe you need to bow in your seat. Maybe whatever responses the Spirit of God leads us, here's my encouragement to you. Respond to God. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you that you love us this much. God, thank you that you make yourself known to us. In Christ, in your word, through your people. God, may we be a people that hungers for you and for your word. And in it, Lord, you transform us. your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.